everybody. We're live on Facebook. I like to say that for my own sake, so I know <laughs> that it's actually happening. Hi, Deborah Colway. Hello, Chantel Lopez. <laughs> so here we are. I am. I have you all to myself, which I'm actually pretty excited about. This is episode nine of the, uh, what is it called? Embodied Business Inspired Brain Podcast. It's a lot of words. I sometimes forget them. And plus, mm -hmm. I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. And um, we're going to start with, well, where are you in the world? Tell, tell everybody right now, where are you? I from? am in <clears throat> Brewster, Brewster, Massachusetts, which is uh, on Cape Cod. Unfortunately, it is raining. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I would have brought you out onto the deck and um, had you overlook the marsh with me. Yes, Mosh. as as I got to yesterday, which was very sweet. Mm -hmm. But today is, is really rainy and chilly, so we're inside. Yeah, and here in Colorado, it is 86 degrees, muggy, humid, and we're waiting for a storm that's going to bring snow, apparently. Yeah, low of 29 degrees tomorrow or Saturday. It's wacky. So I'm taking advantage of the last bits of sunshine. Okay, well... We are going to just dive right in to our real life riff because that will give everybody an opportunity to orient to kind of what's going on for us and let you get to know Deborah a little bit and then we'll do a more formal introduction. What I will say um, is that to me, you are not only one of the dearest humans in my life, but you also to our larger community, I would say, uh, kind of an icon and oh yeah I know I knew you wouldn't like that <laughs> well you've been in the experience of teaching movement for a very long time and um, you have as you and I know and have talked about guided and mentored so many teachers into blossoming into the teachers that they are now. And I, it is my great honor to work with many of them oh, and see that support um, that you have given them really kind of be in the world. So Deborah um, is a master teacher, teacher trainer, mentor, workshop leader, all kinds of things. Um, she teaches at the Pilates Center in Boulder and we met many years ago. I don't know how long. I don't know exactly when, but you do. I can tell you. Yeah. You, it was whatever. Charlie was born. Yeah, it was between the children. You were pregnant with Sid. You oh, were coming yes. to check out a grad program at Naropa. That's right. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly right. So that would be about nine and a half years ago. Shoo-wee. That's right. I had got accepted into the contemplative ed master's program at Naropa. Mm -hmm. And I was very, then I got pregnant and I was trying to decide what I was going to do. What was I going to do? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, y'all are going to learn more about our journey together because it informs, I think, this conversation. But let's start with real life riff. And I'll share something um, that some of you are familiar with. We've talked about it on the podcast. Actually, the last episode we talked about, and I don't know if it, it but this is, I thought this was interesting, Deborah. So a book that we like and we, and we share is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And um, the, in The Big Leap, he talks about our human tendency to have a ceiling for joy and then he talks about how we can manifest in our lives um, something called the upper limit problem where we run into challenges that derail us set us back make us feel you know less confident uh, etc and I've been thinking a lot about that because I've been having some severe neck and nerve pain the last five or six days. And sweet and beautiful Anne said to me about three days ago, she said, do you think it could be an upper limit problem? <laughs> and I said, 
I mean, I'm curious about that. I'm interested in that. And I was talking to a group of teachers this morning about that. And my sense of that idea of the upper limit problem is not about the thing itself. And I think this is apropos for our conversation about change today. But it is about how we orient to the thing. So as an example, in the first couple of days, well, like the first day, I'm shocked and dismayed because there's a lot of pain and I'm, I'm away from home. And, but I'm like, you know, like, don't let it worry me. And then by day two and three, it hasn't improved. And now I'm feeling myself headed down a um, path of retraction, like, like retreating from putting energy into whatever it was I was doing, right? Like the, the path of the work, you know, all the creative experiences and process that Anne and I are in working with the teachers, I could feel myself getting frustrated, um, feeling like, you know how when you're in a lot of pain, it's like, it, it it's like hurts, emotionally hurts. <laughs> and I could feel myself really pulling back and, and kind of going into that place where I did not want to be outward facing and I did not want to be having meaningful conversations. And, and then Anne asked me that question and I thought, you know, things just happen. Things just happen. But what gives the things meaning is us. And this is only an upper limit problem if I make it one. And so the last few days, what I have been working on is just noticing every morning when I get up, I get up in a lot of pain because sleeping hurts. And I sit on the side of the bed, I put my feet on the floor and I take a deep breath and I decide that instead of retracting, I'm going to be grateful, take stock and go into my day knowing that I still have a lot to do and a lot that I want to do. And I'm not going to let my neck stop me from doing that. Um, not that I'm not taking care of it and being thoughtful and attentive, but so that's what I'm, that's what's been on my mind outside of the conversations we've been having, Deborah, about, about change and how we attend to change. But yeah, my neck's okay today. It's not great, but it's not terrible. What about you? What's in, what's, what's your real life riff? Well, <clears throat> so interesting to want to respond to what you said versus yeah. answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you can do both. <laughs> I think I'll try to answer your question first. Um, okay. <laughs> so, oh boy, real life riff. I'm here on Cape Cod. Um, so, ah, for the over the past 10 years, I have been um, kind of in a holding position. I wouldn't have said that if you talked to me in the last 10 years, I wouldn't have used those <laughs> words. But um, so my mom had been living with advanced dementia for over 10 years. And um, she passed away on March 12th. And one of the things that came up for me was how much of my energy, my like psychic heart, gut self mm -hmm. for the past really probably up to 11, 12, 13 years has been hooked a little or, or bound up or waiting or holding or something. Mm -hmm. Then uh, that feeling that, um, you know, when is a particular kind of, kind of phone call going to come or, you know, mm. it's a lot. And um, so I've been processing not the truth of that that's not there now. Mm. Um, and sometimes I forget. Now it's been two months 
so I don't forget as much, you know, and I've already processed quite a lot. But uh, um, most of what is riffing in my real life right now <laughs> has everything to do with the fact that my mom died. Yeah. And so my whole organization has been around that reality. I mean, mm. I've, a lot of other things are going on, but that's that's in the that's the main thing. And um, I think you know, re you remember I said to you the other day when we were talking. You know, I I I told you that I had this commitment to be with her at the end. You know, mm. had the mm -hmm. whole planned out right my sister and I were going to be there with her and uh, she died before I could get there and mm. so much right but I that was a big clonk of um, you just don't know <laughs> and all the best laid plans or whatever little phrase we want to say. However, the last thing that I want to say about that is just, I was standing there in the airport at DIA at like four in the morning to get on the flight on a Sunday morning and it was packed. Mm. I don't want to say a lot because people can't, that can't picture DIA, but the security line was wound around the airport all the way back to baggage claim. Yeah, yeah. And I was standing there in shock, kind of. And I could, I was looking at all the people and their faces and their stress around, I'm not going to make my plane. I'm not going to make my plane. You know, and I stood there and I thought, it doesn't matter if I miss my flight. Mm. She's already dead. And I thought, I don't need to rush if I miss this flight. I'll just get the next one. And I I don't think I've ever said anything like that. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, well, maybe I never have to rush again in my life. Mm. And it was as if I, I, I know this kind of sounds nuts. And, and you know me, I, 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 some when I say things that are a little uncomfortable, I try to make them a little funny. But I... <laughs> But I felt like I felt like this crack opened in the universe and I was walking through it. And there and and that I wouldn't there isn't I'm not going back there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that image. You've used that, you've shared that image with me now a couple of times. And I, I love that and I can kind of picture the opening and picture you stepping through. It's it's pretty it's pretty big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, what I, what I, just because I'm thinking about it and it seems obvious, but I will forget to say it if I don't say it now, which is Deborah and I, this is not our first podcast rodeo. In fact, in that first meeting nine ish years ago, I invited Deborah to be a co-host in the podcast I was launching called the Thinking Pilates Podcast. And we did that for like six years. Yeah. And you know, I didn't even know what a podcast was. I know. I, I think, yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. What I think that. that was your response. Yes. I don't know what a podcast is, but Yes. <laughs> Something of that nature, <laughs> which is was so so. I mean, you you will not maybe agree, but I feel like so brave. And it's one thing that I've always admired about you, and I do admire about people is when they're when they're just why not people, like why not? I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds exciting and thrilling. So why not? And then we'll figure it out. And we totally did. <laughs> and you totally showed up and figured it out. And we had amazing, yeah, we had amazing conversation. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are a Pilates or yoga or movement teacher, 
um, go check out the Thinking Pilates podcast. Deborah and I co-hosted for about four years, and then we brought in a third co-host, James Crater. Um, and then we, the three of us did that for a while. And then, and then James and I did the last year, I think, um, together. And then, and Deborah would be, uh, our like special guest now and then it was a fabulous, fabulous run. And the reason I wanted to, to have a conversation with you, um, Deborah, and I think I told you this when I first invited you was I really, although this podcast is meant to you know, open up and expand the work that Ann and I are doing to the larger health and wellness and movement community and and also invite in a whole different section of folks who are leaders or building businesses or working, you know, have have teams of people or are church leaders or whatever they are, but they desire a greater sense of fullness in the work that they do. Our goal is to support them in figuring out what that is. And for for us, a large part of that is the embodied piece. How do I bring my whole self to the experience I'm having and the work that I'm doing and how I engage with people in my life? And it is really important to Ann and I that we honor where we came from, which was movement, Pilates, yoga, um, and a variety of other things. And so I'm just really excited to have you here because I feel like, again, not to be like just continuing to blow smoke up your butt, but you really are a beacon of, um, I say, there of of that idea of wholeness like bringing your whole self to your work like yes you are an amazing teacher of pilates and movement and and so much more like your level of presence and the way that you attend to your own experience and the experience of the people that you're working with has always been inspiring to me um and I'm just always happy to share you with people who don't know you. Thanks. So we're talking about change today. And when you and I were discussing what to talk about, the conversation started with um, like when you get a feeling of being dissatisfied. Right? Like, what is the feeling of knowing? How do you know? What do you listen for when change is calling? Right? feel like that's kind of where we began our conversation. And, and then we were talking about the need. How do you identify the need for, for genuine change? Um, <laughs> and I had said maybe to you, or I wrote it down, does change identify you or do you identify it? Right? Like you said something about being like a clunk on the head, you know, like sometimes it's like that. And sometimes it's a slow, a slow growth or a slow percolation. Um, and then we started to, to talk about how do we interact with change? And my personal experience with change often is like, um, I need change and I need it now. And then we were like, well, what's that, that, and how that feels to me is often very like violent to myself, very aggressive. And, and also it limits my ability to see the subtle in in what's really needed and so then we were we were asking the opposite how do you how do you how can you make change more gentle and what is that like so for you Deborah, what what feels like a like starting place for you like what what is most interesting about this topic for you mm -hmm. well 
you remember I was like taking some notes <clears throat> at the beginning. I'm like four pages of notes here, but <laughs> I just have a little, like a little corner left on the piece of paper. <laughs> I'm so, the, so three things right off the bat, you know, obvi obviously or not the description of my real life riff is um, hardly not change. <laughs> yes. Um, A. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I'm stuck by the upper limit thing and the neck problem. <laughs> and then also, um, you know, so much of what you um, applauded me for this result of me being a why not person. Um, and then this concept of figuring it out. And I, you know, when you invited me to be on a guest on this podcast, the thing that caught me was, of course, the word embodied. Mm. And then you said, well, we don't worry. We don't have to, you know, we don't just like stick to the name of the podcast. You and me, we're just going to talk. Mm. But I keep coming back um, to... None of this is separate from anything else. So if I've spent pretty much my entire life, you know, purposefully engaging in movement, um, you know, a little less conscious of it. Like when I was a kid, uh, I didn't have any formal sports or anything like that, but I always had to walk to school. Like somehow, you know, from the start, mm -hmm. we could go back to the fact that I'm a, I was born a month premature. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, I get out. <laughs> um, what's next? Um, and I can't take full responsibility for that because my mom actually slipped and fell down the stairs. They had oh. just moved um, into the house that I was born in to, uh, you know, and so she fell and went into labor the next day. So mm. I think it was that also. But, uh, you know, so I always had to walk to school because I had, I had to walk home. I had all this physical energy that needed somewhere to go. And um, I, you know, as you know, I started doing yoga pretty young, yoga and meditation pretty young. And um, again, you know, you just do things. I, I've just always relied even in the years when I didn't know it, then as I grew grew up and, and put it in a more conscious place in my life, that I move, I process through my body. Hmm. Like my mind is a little too, I know I'm speaking slowly on purpose, you know, <laughs> like my legs are doing um, I, I'm, I, I, I look out at, you know, and I just like see it and it's too much of a mouthful. It's too fast. It's too, too much to chew all at once. And so what I've learned is that how I process my life experience is primarily through my body and it always has. Hmm. And, um, and I haven't always listened to it, though. And so that, to me, is, is where I'd like to be with you in your questioning. How do you know? How do you know? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it gentle? Is it pushy? I, I now, I, I think about all of this and I bring it into my movement practice or my embodiment practice from the lens or the support of um, if you know, my own experience, but also, um, you know, it, having studied a lot of body mind centering and, and embodiment with Susan Potion and the people that you know. And so I, I ask those questions all the time. And the going into my body for sensation, for understanding what's happening is 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 a lot of what I do. Mm. So I don't anymore work too hard at figuring it out. 
Yeah, so I don't this trust is that as much. I don't trust that as much. And it makes me nervous. And then my body is unhappy. And you know, so then I come back around again. Yeah. What I love about this is we've been talking a lot about this in a variety of ways. Listening. And 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 what information do we get from this listening versus this listening? And it's not a one-way street. Like Anne is always asking me questions about, because I, in our last episode, actually had shared with her something similar about the way I know a thing in my body, and then I can articulate it up here. But it's not quite the same as what you're describing, but maybe it is. I've just never thought of it that way of like, it's too much in here. And to sort through it and really understand it, I need to process it through here. I'm not sure that is it for me. But I do think it's very interesting to just consider how do we listen? And can we cultivate wisdom around the way that we listen, both from an intellectual perspective and a, and, and a body-based perspective? Because some people, as you know, don't trust their body. Exactly. And they don't even know how to listen in their body. Right? Like that, mm-hmm. even to say that, I think for a lot of folks, it feel real strange. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Do you remember, um, I guess it was... I can't remember now. I've only listened to parts of two of the podcasts, and I can't remember if it was the opening one with you and Anne alone or if it was the one with Gina. Mm-hmm. But so, I think it was Anne talking about um, the the issue of, uh, like, when you ask a client or a student to feel something in their body or something and they don't feel it or they don't know mm-hmm. that it's kind of like a – I wish I could remember better, but the idea that, you know, you're not up to the task if you, if you don't know how to feel through your body somehow, and that there's like a hierarchy of, yeah. uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? Well, I don't, I don't take people's time with this, but I thought everything is, um, we have to get, how do we know anything, right? It has to get shown to us. So much of the difficulty that I've now identified I've had in my life where I've suffered from massive insecurity or fear or um, shutdown has been because I thought that somehow I was just know how, somehow I was just supposed to know how to do things Mm. and not only that, but be good at them. Yes. And so what you know, I mean, I've done a lot of therapy too. And I remember one time this, you know, somebody saying to me, like, whatever, like made you think that you were supposed to know how to do that if you'd never been taught how. Yes. And that was like a shocking question. And so, you know, not to oversimplify, but I kind of break it down now into um, like the idea of something and then the experience of it. And then the, and then the wisdom of it or something, it's sort of like something has to get pointed out to you. You have to even know it exists. Then you have to be like, like interested, drawn to want to explore. Then there has to be time with guidance at, at the beginning, you know, put into we could call it practice or we could call it experiencing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then comes the confidence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do we, learn to feel? How do we learn to listen? Um, With help, with it being pointed out that it's even a thing. Yes. With a desire, like desire from a developmental perspective, motivation is motivated from a desire. You know, the, the being you know, wants to, wants this object, is drawn to it, starts to do stuff with its body, you know, the whole (laughs) mental thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Um, and then the the organism has to have, have sufficient support and be wired well enough to be able to develop the strengths and the skills to, the get, skills. Mm-hmm. to get there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I think it's a person, it's like a nervous system thing or a, per, uh, not a personality thing, but like a style thing. Uh, some people really just naturally take their time and others of us, you know, just impulsive and um, tr- like, where, how did I get here? You know, I said, okay, sure, I'll do a podcast. And then I spend half my time like being a nervous wreck because I don't know if I know how to do it and if I'm going to be able to do it. You know, so then, then the information coming back is, oh, this isn't really very much fun. I don't like this feeling. So maybe I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quit before I even have properly trained myself, to, you know. Yeah. But then you get support. Mm. And in the support, you gain confidence. Your lack of knowledge becomes a, a knowing. And then, and then you experience and it, right. The, so it's the, over right. the cycle, the cycle of, and, and if enough of those have occurred, I think it helps us navigate change with more options. Yes. Well, doesn't awareness open us to options, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of things rolling in my mind, which is always what happens when you and I are chatting. Um, the first thing, so one, I want to put this in the perspective of change and mm-hmm. not, and, and, and the, the kind of cultural or familial or real, I don't know where it comes from, whatever it is that's informing us, right. Um, that creates assumptions about the way things should be right or happen. But then, but I want, first I want to say, I think it's, I think it's like a physiological orientation. It's like how we metabolize, right? It's our body types, our nervous system wiring and how we metabolize. And, and that's not just DNA. That's then potentially ancestral influence, ancestral trauma passed on, right? Mother to mother, mother to child, to child. Um, but there is like, we all are orienting differently in the world based not only on our physiology and our ability to metabolize, but our life experiences, which I think it, the reason I say that is that just because it can be helpful, right? Because what, it means that I don't have to metabolize and, and experience it like you do, right? Nor you as I do, but that we are all, we are all uniquely in a way and not, <laughs> you know, experiencing what comes into us, whether our minds are very busy or, or we're very naturally gentle and slow and not as graspy which is how I would describe myself, right? Striving and grasping and always, always like falling forward. So that's interesting. And I always, in, in the, in the podcast, I always like to pause. Like there are these moments where it's like, if you're listening, it it could be valuable to just pause for a moment and take a breath. And get curious about how you are currently orienting or how you historically orient to the world. Because the more we can know ourselves, I feel like the better we can support ourselves. But that that is at least my experience. And then this is really relevant to me because I have recently gone through a a major transition, which is changing my marriage relationship. And this process has been going on for three, about three and a half years, almost four years. And the process that I have been in with my ex-husband, we have deliberately chosen to go slow. 
And we have chosen that because we love each other and respect each other. And we want our children to feel safe and supported in the process. And because we can, luckily, we we have we have both the emotional and other means to do so. But what I've been really aware of in my experience as a child of divorce is that in a in a change like that uh, and I'll just say I feel like our orientation to divorce culturally is that it has to be catastrophic mm-hmm. and that it, that it is catastrophic that it is angry and uh divisive and mean and vindictive and all love or respect that one might have for the other person gets shoved down, shoved aside, and maybe even morphs. And I think it's to your point of like, if we don't know how to do it differently, how are we supposed to do it differently? Like if somebody doesn't say, it doesn't have to be like that. How would we ever know? So that makes me think, because I I think I have <coughs> been, ooh, bless, um, often, like I said in the beginning, overly uh, eager for change to happen quickly right? Like I'm ready for change and it must happen now. I have to work really hard to slow it down often. Can I ask you a question right now? Yes, ma'am. Well, two questions. (laughs) Would you say for yourself that your experience of change historically is that it is painful or uncomfortable something um, we're trying to get through quickly i mean it's a yes and no answer i think um mm. it depends on the change yeah i definitely have had the experience in terms of speed, immediacy, you know, impatience, yes, get through the un- the discomfort as quickly as possible. Do you remember? I mean, I don't orient that way. Like on the other side, like when you landed, was there relief or just more? Yeah, so I kind of see it for myself as a spectrum because I have really grown in this area. And so I would say as a younger person, there was a lot of like change. So when I was very young and not, I didn't have a lot of advocacy because I was a child, right? Change was always painful because I was not in choice, mm-hmm. right? And then, and and then you know, do whatever needs to be done to get through the change. That's a survival. But to me, that experience is like survival. I think I took that into my 20s. And then I've oriented the same way. And in that pushing to get through something that was painful or uncomfortable. I love your question, by the way, I would get to the other side and feel dissatisfied kind of empty kind mm-hmm. of like what just happened and when now and now what right mm-hmm. because there is no there is no opportunity for like when you rush through change and you get to the other side you you have not given yourself any opportunity to create new understanding you used the word metabolize <clears throat> earlier. Yeah. Which takes time. Yes. And and the other thing is that um, the push 
to get through, um, you know, again, developmentally speaking, will be potentially like a hardening because uh, it pushes us in if there wasn't the underlying pattern, you know, of yield and support to carry, to carry through. And then not to get totally into the developmental patterns, but then the reach comes next. So again, the desire. So if you got stuck back in push, it might, um, I can't think of the word for this. <laughs> uh, like become, you become rigid. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. then the, so the experience in your body is going to be survivally esque as opposed to growthful esque. You know, a new, a new dawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Potential, potential. Yeah, I I really appreciate that, and I think I think the folks that are listening will appreciate too thinking about this from a developmental perspective. Here is what I would say to that: when you get stuck in that rigidity, but then you are born into the other side of the change, you really you haven't changed. You, you, what are you reaching for? You're just. So this is the whole question. This is the whole thing of like, how do you know you want something to change? Is change foisted upon you? Are you, you know, all the, the series of questions that you asked earlier. Mm -hmm. um, This is, this is the stuff, you know? And um, like, I don't know. Like sometimes I, like sometimes I think I'm a little too like, whatever, um, you know, I get nervous because the business people are like, but that's not how you do it in business, you know, but um, well, we're here to give them a different perspective anyway. Yeah, okay. so. But the, but the, um, like, you know, I've had conversations with, with people before and they're like, Deborah, you know, you don't always have a choice. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like maybe I know. I'm in agreement with you. Like maybe we really, really do. It's just that um, we need a new world order. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about, let's talk about what we have, maybe what we can agree on having choice about. Okay. So, and, and I think in our last, maybe in our last episode, I said, you know, it's so obvious, but the the breath is really like it's the access point to shifting our our tendency to be reactive out of habit habit of mind and habit of you know all the things behavior and to being responsive right like three deep breaths gives us enough space to be in choice, but that space really is about now I have room for some awareness, which as we said earlier, opens up the choice, opens up the choices. Like, and, and, and then too, I just can't help but say that we know physiologically, we know, we know without a doubt that three deep breaths changes our nervous system state from one that is vulnerable and not feeling safe to one that is less vulnerable and feeling more safe. And in that more safe place, we at least can, we have more choices and we may not have a choice whether or not somebody is, you know, holding us up at gunpoint or our parents are getting divorced or our mother dies. But we do have choice about how we respond. We, we do. Some of us have limited choices. And some of us have lots of choices. But I think that goes back to your 
point of these three stages of like, you first have to be shown a thing. Then you, you begin to practice or experience and build skill in a thing. And then over time there is wisdom, right? And in the, in that third phase, we are optimizing choices. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So where do people start? Well, <clears throat> yeah, mm, I like it. You seem ready to answer that question. <laughs> well, you know, did you see Silver Linings Playbook? The movie? Yes, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I just love that line. <laughs> he says, if I'm reading the signs, you know, if it's me reading the signs. So if it's me reading the signs, <laughs> I say where we start is if we're if if it's interesting to us we start developing um slowly um a different kind of relationship to our body and when i say body um and when i talk about embodiment i'm not talking about just like um like alignment and, you know, getting my shoulders over my wrists or, you know, getting my um, femurs. You're not just talking talking about muscles and bones. and Right. I'm talking about how all the systems and the the sensations. I mean, again, this is one of those things where I've lived in this for so long. I know, I know there are people who are unaware of the sensations in their body. Mm-hmm. But if we are reading the signs and we are having this particular conversation, I don't really see a way around it. Mm-hmm. If we are promoting um, an ability to look out at our world and then perceive and then bring it back in and have this interplay between what is experienced as inner and outer and create a a flow, a fluidity between those. How can we do it other than learning to um, sense Yeah. So let me, let me um, take a moment to be practical. So for those of you who are not in the, in the embodied experience or embodied realm of work, if you are listening and coming at this from a different perspective, and you maybe don't know how to feel your body. um, I think one of the things that is easiest to access is like, just the mechanics of the body. Yeah. Right. It, it, like don't, because I think a lot of people, if they're new to this work and this could be useful for, I mean, maybe it's useful for folks who, who teach movement. A lot of times when we are in this high minded space, which, you know, we tend to be, we can begin to invite our students to have like, too much of a feeling, emotional tone experience of their body. And and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That makes no sense to me. I think and feel through my brain. Mm -hmm. So, so we can say, put your hand on your belly and feel the outer experience of your hand touching your belly, of -hmm. your belly touching your hand. And then is there something deeper? Can -hmm. you feel a shift in your internal organs or your belt. Like, you know, it's very, it's very tangible. It's very mechanical. Mm -hmm. And then we can practice that in different ways, in different areas with different movements. And then we build, we build confidence. Right. That's the pointing out part and the making it accessible part. And really in a way why, um, how, you know, just to use again, I'm sorry, I'm not, if, if I'm speaking to, uh, in a limited place, but like the Pilates equipment, 
you know, I mean, having something to touch and resist and feel come back at you, you know, all of those things are, they are strength building and lengthening and decompressing and all of that, but they also are super helpful to bring orientation. Yeah. Orientation. Feedback. Yeah. Like you said, like, you know, we do, if we're just pushing against nothing, there's no, there's no feedback. There's no perspective, right? There's, there's no, there's a lack of perceiving contact. Yeah. And then, and then the next step is to invite like an emotional experience. Like maybe you're in it, or maybe you can paint a picture in your mind of a, of a, a strongly balanced experience. Like, you know, somebody cutting you off on the freeway, or I get really, really emotionally charged when this little bully in the neighborhood picks on Sydney and treats her unfairly. I like go off the rails. So we can then invite like, okay, that's an emotional experience. I mean, I can even feel it now thinking about this little girl. Like I can feel my hands starting to get like a little like constricted, you know, like I can feel my heart change. So, so then just to invite like some curiosity into like, how does, does my body change when I am in a strong emotional experience? And then we just have to be curious about that. I think for a long time. Um, and it does take time and it does take support. Mm. Yeah. I just thought like when, you know, you were doing this, this part of inviting the the situation in when it's not really real, it's real to you, but I mean, you're not at home right now, Sydney. Um, this is something else I was thinking about earlier. Um, the value of, how do I say this? How do I say this? Um, the value of practicing something in an in a in a biggish way when it's not really happening mm-hmm. with support because mm-hmm. you know enough times. Like, and then practicing releasing from it when it's not happening so that when you're in it, those pathways have been opened up so that you're not victim to the only pathway when that kid comes over and messes with Sydney is that you go into this thing, but like, you know, that you would practice, oh, I feel my hands constricting. I just, you know, clenched my butt. You know, it's like, okay, I'm just sitting in the backyard in Colorado. I could actually sit back, take those three breaths, feel my pelvic floor, you know, let my hands open. And, you know, because she's not there and it's not happening. And then is there, like, in your way of looking at this stuff, is how about that, you know, for, yeah. like, these different things so that when we're in the real situations, not this part of us, but the nervous system response actually has, has learned some, some options there. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that's the, like, that's the training part, right? Like that's the part two, mm-hmm. that's the practicing. And, and what you're talking about is putting yourself in a safe place where mm-hmm. you can access the trigger and practice releasing from the trigger so that that awareness opens. And now I can choose to just calmly say whatever I need to say and, and be direct, but be kind instead of my, you know, reaction response, you know, my, my reactivity place wants to like slam the door in the little girl's face, which is a terrible thing to say out in public. But, but I mean, literally (laughs) like maybe you can't, if, if you haven't learned to open yeah. your hands. Well, you know, how, as long as your hands you, are still like this, the only option is to slam the door. Yeah. Well, back to your point, like how can you, if you have not been taught? Exactly. Well, and yeah. so, yeah. So here's the, um, we, we're going to, we're going to bring our conversation to a, a close here in the next few minutes. Um, and 
here is the thing I want to say about change. Hold on. I had it and it's gone. Um, to support you in investigating what is your general demeanor around change? Like you asked me the question, like, is, is, does change for me, is it connected to or based in like pain and, and being out of the discomfort as quickly as possible? Um, this is not really the question I want to ask, but I'm I've completely lost the thing that I had wanted to say. Um, Mm. Oh, I know. This was it. You said in our conversation yesterday, here's what I think would be supportive. Not only to ask the question of yourself, like, how do I normally enter into change? Like, get a pen and paper. Pause the podcast. How, how do I, what's my relationship to change? Like, I hate it. I'm resistant to it. It's always painful. I, I wish I never had to, you know, experience it or like, I like some kinds of change or I show up differently, like what, whatever, like I want you to investigate. And then maybe you notice when you're thinking about different kinds of change, how your body responds, like just notice. And maybe you're like, I don't know, I can't really feel, but maybe over the next few days or week, you can keep asking yourself the question. And sometimes what happens for me, right, is I'll do this kind of like questioning and I'll not really get a lot. And then I'll just be like randomly driving down the street or in the shower and be like, oh, oh, that, that's what I was feeling when I was thinking about this other thing. But here's what I really want to leave you all with, Deborah, because you said, we were talking about motivation. And, and I was saying to you, I think when we can become clear about our motivation for change, that becomes a really powerful guide for how we move through the experience and the choices that we make. And you, you framed it differently. And I wonder if, do you remember? And can you share was like from the, it was like, is like from the, this is for me from the inside out, like clarity of my motivation then uh, impacts my actions. And you were like, it's more for me, like I have this commitment to being in my life in a certain way. And so that to me is the outside, like that's like not external, but the bigger, like I'm committed to, what are you committed to? Like, yeah. Can I just, is it okay if I give you a little, an example? Do it. Yeah. Okay. This is, um, I don't know if it's embarrassing or whatever, but so what, right? Uh, <laughs> I, um, you know, when I got married, I, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you argue your way through stuff, right? And um, there's going to be disagreement and I'm going to push you until you see my perspective and my point of view. And I'm going to, I think, you know, I'm eventually going to get my way, or at least I'm going to get heard. And, I don't know um, anything about that. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm married to a man who refused to meet me there. And um, for a few years, many, maybe, I just kept doing the thing, Right. And it would always end horribly with either him just like backing away or leaving the room or I would go screaming out of the house and get in the car and just drive, you know. And one day I thought, what if I just don't say anything? Like I'm going to literally practice because the thing that I wanted out of this was to be heard and to be understood and to make contact mm. And obviously that I wasn't like, that was my motivation. That was my desire. I really wanted, I wanted to get my point across. And of course I wanted agreement. Yeah. That's the, that's the knowledge, man. Right. Yes. So, so <laughs> I just thought, okay, 
I just decided not like one day, like I was like, all right, wait, this isn't working. You got to do something different. What, you know, when I got clear that that I wanted peace in my home, I didn't mm -hmm. like this feeling. Right. So I'm going to cut to the chase. I just thought I'm going to start practicing. Like you can tell is another thing which takes, you have to cultivate it. You can get to where right before your mouth opens, <laughs> there's a feeling in there and you can learn to catch it before you talk. Mm. And I started noticing, okay, we're at that place. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to bite the hook. And I didn't die. It's not the whole picture, okay? But <laughs> I also, I want to say there was more peace because I wasn't constantly making this other thing stir up. Yeah. And out of that space. That's right. Space. Out of that space. I'm not saying it was great or it was immediately. Mm -hmm, but that so that was the overall thing. I want peace in my home. Yeah. So I I I want to bring us full circle and back to our last podcast, because what we were talking about is how committed we are to feeling bad. Right. And, and what I hear and what I think is relevant is if you can shift or consider the thing that you are more committed to than being heard and understood, which has its value, you know, it has its place and it has its value, but you were more committed to getting the agreement, which is, you know, really pretty impossible. And also like just makes us feel bad when we're committed to that because we don't have any control over whether people agree with us or not. But when you shifted to being more committed to peace in your home, that's when you began to make different choices. So, yes, and I didn't feel, and it felt horrible. The other thing never felt good. It wasn't like I you got were really committed to it. From it. Yeah, yeah, but you were really committed to it. So, mm -hmm. for those of you who are listening, when you think about change, change maybe that you're in, because goodness, doesn't it feel like we're always in some kind of change process? What are you most committed to that can support you in? I think the way you said it yesterday, Deborah, was like, then you're the bigger thing you're committed to, then shapes and drives the motivation. It becomes the motivation. So it's not what's my motivation because I feel like that can get very, you know, my motivated to get understanding and to be heard and to get agreement. Like, but when we see it from this other perspective, this larger perspective, it can really shift the way we attend to everything but in this conversation the process of change well i love you very much i'm so glad to have been here with you um i have to rush off to teach one of my beloved students okay. um in the show notes and in the post uh probably in the outro post podcast recording i'll share more about um how to get in touch with deborah if you would like or what she's up to or whatever she wants me to say about her. Um, and then of course, we just thank you for your time and kind attention and for being willing to listen. And in your listening, you're really a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, my Thanks, love. Thanks, until I can't believe you're in Colorado and I'm not there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's wacky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. 
the absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?